Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for today's episode, Brendan Sinone, joined by Chris Nees, just Chris and I. I was going to say solo, duo, dynamic duo. Are you happy to see my shining face on our quote-unquote off day, Chris? I'm just here to do this duet with you. Ooh, the duet. All right, that's the name of the pod, the duet. All right, so what we're going to do for today's podcast is one of my favorite formats. Uh, This is kind of like the OG of of formats is Chris and I just riffing back and forth with each other, uh, doing our little duet dance, talking about camp observations. Uh, There's going to be some some Kool-Aid, but uh, we're going to try to be very realistic as well. There's reasons to be excited, uh, but qualifier, this is all in the prism of can this team be seven wins or maybe overachieve, get more than that. This isn't us saying this is a 10-win team or anything like that, fellas. So just that's the qualifier. Before we get into our position-by-position position camp analysis, uh, two things. One, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, if you like the recruiting information that's out there, if you somehow tolerate my shenanigans and uh, like my team insights, Knowles 24-7 is doing a 60% off promo. It runs through the end of the week, uh, Friday. And, uh, and and we've had a lot of about 100 people sign up already. So thank you for those who have signed up. We appreciate the support and you giving us a chance. If you're on the fence. This is the time to do it before the season starts. Our recruiting coverage is second to none. It's awesome. Our team coverage is fun, expansive, accurate. We've only continued to add to that, too, with the X's and Knowles editions, Trey Rowland, uh, plus the help we're getting from Brett Nevitt and, and Dane Draper as well during the season. So uh, please uh, check us out if you're interested. The other thing to talk about, Chris, real quick, because some of this stuff is already kind of stale. It's been a little while since we've been able to sit down and do a pod. Recruiting. They've had, yeah. three, co- they've had three commitments in the last week. We've talked about those on the X's and Knowles podcast. You can check that out on our feed. Uh, but also uh, quarterback development, too. And, and that let's start there. Brock Glenn picks Ohio State over Florida State, something that wasn't a surprise if you were on the message board. Uh, but maybe based on our last podcast, uh, things you know, shifted in, in the last week and a half or so. Yeah, it, it's it's disappointing in the sense that FSU decided to go the direction they did and it did not play out in their favor. That's the disappointment of it. Uh, the other disappointing thing is that FSU didn't close this in mid-July when I would argue FSU was probably the favorite because it seemed as though Ohio State had them to some degree on the back burner because their focus was on Austin Novasad, who was committed to Baylor, uh, considering Ohio State, who he took a visit to, Texas A&M, Notre Dame, Novasad, who actually in the last, I think, 48 to 72 hours decided he's going to stick with Baylor. It it was a domino that kind of needed to fall to make some movement. Uh, I think when Novasad reached the end of July period and decided he wasn't going to take another visit to Ohio State, Ohio State realized they were not going to be the one that was going to potentially flip him. They green-lighted Brock Glenn. Here we are. That's what happened. That's why Brock Glenn went to a school that currently is on a different tier than Florida State. A couple of myths to debunk real quick and some analysis and a little bit of gray area to get into. One, FSU didn't push Chris Parson out of the class. Uh, They would have absolutely taken his commitment. Uh, However, they thought they needed to add to the quarterback room. Two, ideally take two, but but really my ultimate opinion is to get someone that was uh, higher up on the board, and that's what Brocklin was viewed to them. So it was a calculated risk. We talked about that when they went and offered Ricky Collins and Brocklin, that there was a potential to rock the boat, that we wouldn't be surprised if it rocked the boat. Uh, that's ultimately what happened. They knew that was a calculated risk. They tried to retain Chris Parson. He wasn't super interested in, in being the second quarterback, uh, especially two of two in the class. So uh, they didn't push him out, though, I think is – 
is something that's been out there that it just there needs to be some some nuance to that. Would you agree with that, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I think they entered that conversation. Uh, so they offered Ricky Collins and Brooklyn in the end of May. I think they understood at the time when they did that, that the potential of Chris Parson in his camp being unhappy about that was there. So they knew when they offered that there was a possibility of this deteriorating that relationship and it reaching the point that it did when Chris Parson backed off his commitment in July. I think that was a full understanding. FSU did not offer those two quarterbacks to say, hey, Chris Parson, please leave our class. Right. I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, I don't think we're changing anyone's mind, though. If someone already thinks that is what happened and the information we've already put out there, they, they're probably starting to keep believing it. But anyways, I, I did want, if there anyone was on the fence, to clarify that talking point there. Uh, ultimately, Chris, like my thought is on, on the quarterback situation. I think I have a different take than, than a lot of people do on this. Uh, but listen, they took a, it was a calculated risk in just going for Brock Glenn and Ricky Collins. Uh, it was a gamble that Florida State knew it was uh, under Tony Tokars and being you know, trying to make his stamp with his quarterback room in his first recruiting cycle. And they positioned themselves really well for Brock Glenn. Uh, I, I, ultimately, like the lack of closing in July is is not great, but it's tough to beat out Ohio State for a quarterback or Ohio State can sell NFL draft picks. It can sell a wide receiver room that is – ungodly good every single year and based on what this 2023 cycle is developing into like looks like it's going to continue to roll uh yeah it's just it's not a good thing that you lose obviously i'm not trying to spin that it was going to be hard once ohio state said that he was a take and ultimately you out leveraged auburn you out leveraged tcu you caught up with some programs that had a bit of a head start and you actually were priced in better than, say, LSU and Notre Dame got in late. Like, it was going to be between Florida State and Ohio State. Uh, I would argue that's probably the most attractive place for a quarterback in the country, maybe outside of Alabama, uh, 1A, 1B. So I'm kind of shrugging my shoulders right now. You can't really see me shrugging my shoulders, but I'm shrugging them because ultimately just you you lost out on an opportunity that I think was too good to pass up on for Brooklyn. Yeah, so to move the conversation forward, if Jordan or Travis returns to FSU after this season, then this conversation is a lot different. We're going to work with the theory that he does not because it is a possibility that he decides because he's obviously been in the college game a long time to go ahead and do whatever is next in his career after this coming season at FSU. If that is the case and FSU has Tate Rodemaker and AJ Duffy in that room, I, I'm well on record on where I stand on Tate. I think Duffy is a talented guy. Throwing him in the fire next year immediately with him being the only guy obviously isn't what you want. So FSU is going to have to find another quarterback in this class. And that's probably even still true, even if Jordan Travis does return, just because you have to build for the future. Even though you do have an excellent quarterback in 2024 and Luke Cromanhawk, who you already have committed. But FSU, at this point, I don't think there's a 23 guy that I would point to and say they want that kid. They like the kid. They had three quarterbacks at Seminole Showcase in the 23 class, I don't think that they prefer any of those three. I don't think any of those three are about to get offered from FSU, at least at this stage of the process. FSU obviously can wait it out, play the transfer portal game. There's always going to be quarterbacks in there, but good quarterbacks in the portal like to go to really good schools, so you got to make sure you're positioned to be a school of that caliber 
for that kid or to offer what that kid needs. And FSU certainly has to be a better passing offense in 2023 to be more appealing to a quarterback who wants to go to a ready-made situation. The other option, obviously, is coaches get fired. Happens every year, you know, two dozen to four dozen coaches every year basically get fired. So FSU will be uh, probably looking through combing those schools' commitment lists if guys get fired, if there's a quarterback that they already like. You know, there's guys like uh, Minchie's a quarterback in 23 that I think is awesome. He's committed to Pitt. I think FSU's kind of evaluating, kick the tires, or the issue there is if he's flipping from Pitt, it's probably somebody like Notre Dame. Some of the dominoes that have happened recently at that position nationally have left a school like a Notre Dame, for example, and a Texas A&M uh, still combing and looking for guys. And those are schools that, from a quarterback perspective, NIL perspective, everything that goes into recruiting that position, FSU can't really compete with. So I think they're going to kind of sit steady for now, let things play out. I do still think they add a quarterback before the 24 se- or, I'm sorry, 23 season rolls around uh, to their class in some form or fashion, whether it's portal or high school or both. I, I think there's a pretty decent chance whether it was Chris Parson being the only quarterback in this class or Brock Glenn being the only quarterback, maybe if you had two. What I'm about to say wouldn't wouldn't be uh, on the table, but I think there's a decent chance you'd have to explore the transfer portal, no matter what, uh, with what the 2023 quarterback board uh, projected to be. At this point, Florida State has gone ahead and gambled. Uh, it didn't pay off with the recent quarterback developments. I think at this point you have to gamble again and probably just hope that you produce the way I think that there's some cautious optimism internally. You think the offense can produce this year. Uh, help with job stability as a selling point, and then also uh, open up the expand to what you can sell p- players in terms of offensive production. If the offense takes a step forward and the passing game is better than it's been the last two years, then maybe you can do some poaching in the 2023 quarterback class to the end of the cycle. Uh, but that, I think that's kind of where you're at right now. I don't think the FSU looks like it's in the position, as Chris alluded to, based on what it saw with some of the guys in camp uh, this past week, to, to really force the issue right now that you have to kind of be patient and, and kind of bet on yourself uh, to to kind of get out of, I guess, a little bit of a hole right now. But it's not something I'm super worried about in this moment, only because I didn't know if any of these guys were going to be a, a legitimate difference maker for 2023. Uh, switching gears a little bit, one more recruiting thing. We were we covered some of those showcases past weekend. The coverage was extensive. At Knowles 24-7, Zach, Dane, Chris all did a great job. I helped out a little bit. Uh, but what happened within the like couple days of that event were the rare uh, three defensive back commits, all three from different recruiting cycles. <laughs> so, Chris, real quick, because we've talked about it on the X's and Knowles podcast, your thoughts are already out there on two of those guys. But it's for people who haven't listened, uh, what did FSU add in the last week or so at the DB position? So we'll go class by class. Start with 2022, Malik Feaster, Jacksonville State transfer, chose FSU over Auburn. He had visited both just prior to his decision. He is a insurance option for FSU at defensive back position. He will not be at FSU until at least the second week of August next week because uh, he graduates, I believe, this coming weekend from JSU. And obviously, admitted sometimes can get a little difficult. It's like an HR hire. Sometimes it just doesn't go as smooth as one would hope. So the hope is obviously he joins FSU next week for practice, basically gets three weeks of practice under his belt before the season rolls around. FSU has wanted a 2022 DB. We've talked about it extensively. They they entertain roughly a half dozen guys pretty heavily post-National Signing Day to fill that need, that spot. I, I view it as, and especially after a week of watching preseason practice, 
this is so if they have to get into the too deep of the cornerback positions, they have another guy that has played a lot of snaps, has had success, understands how to deal with failure, which is such an important thing at that position. It's just a good body to have. I, I don't want to turn Malik Feaster into something. I don't think he's coming here to take a starting spot, personally. That's my opinion. I do like that he, he has good size. He's a physical guy. He's a willing tackler. And as we mentioned, he has played a ton of snaps. What did you think of Feaster when you watched him on film, Brendan? Nothing super different than what you said. The physicality does pop off. Uh, he has good size. I think he's six foot, six foot one, uh, thick frame, about 190 pounds, and, and very willing uh, in in the run game, which is which is going to be helpful. Uh, they needed one more cornerback, in my estimation. I, I think just to have insurance of that position. So that was important. I think you had to get nine because you run three anyway. So having multiple backups at each position group, especially with some guys that are younger, like you don't want to throw Sam McCall in there before it's time or, or someone like Demore Tate who just hasn't, frankly, developed at the speed they want to. Uh, you want to make sure you have some insurance there at a pretty important and premium position. So uh, they're running out of out of options. Like they only had so many different guys on the board. This is, a, to me, a, a decent late ad. It, it, it makes sense. I will say I think so waiting on August 5th is when he uh, – was he graduate or is he finished up his classes and then can transfer in? I think it's August 5th. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on. I also think there it's was – something uh, along those lines. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so it'll start a little bit in camp, which is unorthodox. Uh, the only other thing that I'll put out there is that I, I do think there was also like a, a medical pending on him coming here and enrolling as well, which I believe at this point is the fact that this is proceeding is, is fine. But I think he had a knee injury in the spring. I don't think it's considered a big deal. But – uh, those are a couple of things that they just want to get you know, checked and, and figured out during the official visit last week. Uh, yeah. Moving on, on to 2023. 20, well, real quick on the injury thing that you mentioned, when FSC brings kids in for visits, uh, for example, with Trey Benson, they do put them through the check. They they do evaluate that situation and make a really good judgment call on it. I think the staff deserves some credit to this point in time for the guys that they have taken with injury history that they feel pretty comfortable with what they're getting and where they're at, where they're going to be. I think Trey Benson speaks to that at a high volume. That was a super criticized injury, including by myself. And that guy looks like, you know, Superman out there on the field. We'll talk about that more later. So moving on to 23, they took cornerback Jabril Rawls from Pensacola, Florida Catholic. Jabril is a pretty long, lanky defensive back. We list him at 6'1", 170, uh, very long-armed. He's a good athlete, good top-end speed, does a good job of getting off the field, competing for the ball in the air. He plays offense. He plays defense. He also returns kicks. The athleticism flashes in those regards. The one thing with him, and I mentioned this when we talked with X's and Knowles the other night, he's a little clunky with like opening the hips and doing some of that stuff. So I don't know if he's a natural corner. The length allows him to do some things at corner to make up for some of that. I think he's very natural safety, though, because he is also a willingly physical guy who will come downhill and play stuff. Uh, the interesting thing with Rawls is official offers, like the actual written offer, not the verbal offers, were allowed to be sent out on August 1st. The first player I saw tweet an official offer from FSU was Jabril Rawls around 1 or 2 a.m. that night, midnight his time, because he's in the central time zone, and you can't send it till midnight central, or I'm sorry, midnight eastern or midnight in the local time zone. Uh, so he's the first one that tweets it out, making it clear that he is a guy that is a take for FSU, which I will admit was a bit of a question mark since March when they verbally offered him. I thought he was sort of an evaluation guy. They got him here for showcase. He gets the official offer, the personalized Mike Norvell talking to him video offer, which is a nice touch by FSU with those official offers. 
later that afternoon, I mean, 10, 11 hours later, he's committed to FSU. He went ahead and pulled the trigger. Uh, you know, I, I think he's a good developmental defensive back. He's not the guy that should lead your class at that position is probably the best way I can put it into context of what I think he is. I don't know what we rank him offhand. I know he's a three-star with us. I don't know if it's like the mid. Uh, he's an 85, 7, 8, 86. I think that's pretty fair. I think he's a guy that falls in that range. The athletic traits are there. If he can get a little more cleaned up with coaching, I'm interested to see just how versatile he can be. I'm with you. I, I kind of like his game. There's some. He looks kind of svelte, kind of skinny in terms of, and I think maybe that kind of alludes to some of the, the hip flexibility. Sometimes those like narrow waisted guys have a hard time like really opening up the hips. But he's also, I mean, he's six foot one. So I do think like you talk about someone with that length, like that's typically that's not an attribute that is going to be associated, except for like the elite of the elite prospects. Uh, when you're that size, he's more of a turn and burn type of cornerback, which when they run as much cover four as Florida State does, which was a ton, I think only like three or four teams ran more cover four than Florida State last season. That ultimately is going to put him in a position where he's turning and running downfield rather than you know having to to chase things inside. Uh, the agility matters a little bit less, more about acceleration and, and long speed. Plays the ball really well, very natural in that regard, which I, I like a lot. I value that. And you see he's also just willing to be aggressive, like Chris said. So, um, yeah, he's he's a solid take to me. He's a top 1,000 recruit, 900 to 1,000 range. So dipping down the rankings a little bit there. Uh, but I do see some of the appeal. I think there is something something to him there. Uh, honestly, I liked his film more than the uh, the neighbor Stewart, to be honest. I, I haven't seen them in person head-to-head. But I thought he showed more on, on tape than – than Avery Stewart did, to be honest. Next man up, 2024 commitment, C.J. Hurd. C.J. committed at Seminole Showcase. Uh, he arrived in town a little bit before he did the commitment, but around 2 p.m. that day, he went public with it. Bit of a troll job. He threw UF into the edit, had a little fun with that. He had prior to that name to top seven. That didn't include FSU, which led to many of your message board questions of, is he still coming here? Is he visiting that day? And we just had to say nicely, yes, he is expected. But uh, CJ had done us the pleasure of giving us a pre-write. He talked to Zach ex- extensively. If you haven't read the Q&A, go and read it. CJ Hurd's list at six foot 200. He will play at less than 200 this coming year. I think he told me he's trying to get down to 185, 190 range. Last year, he was more of like a box safety linebacker type. I think this year, he'll be a little bit more of a free-flowing safety type who can come into box and be physical. He is a willing physical player in the box. He is a safety, in my opinion, all the way. FSU loves taking guys, starting them at corner, and then moving them to safety. I don't think CJ is that type. I think CJ is a guy who comes in and plays safety from day one. I just think it is what he is. I do not think he grows into a linebacker. That has been something that people have asked me, and it makes sense if you watch his film from twenty four or from last season because he does look a lot like a linebacker in that film. That's what he did for Woodward Academy. Excellent school up there in the Atlanta area that he's coming from. Longtime FSU fan. Uh, his twi- Twitter's pretty enjoyable if you go through some of it. Like he has a photo of him with Delvin Cook when he was a little kid at camp, and it's funny because he looks like little version of CJ Hurd. Like he looks this day and age. Uh, he he loves this place. He's one of those kind of guys that I think he can be to some degree the guy that's kind of a spokesperson for you in the recruiting game. He just he has a great deal of love and interest for FSU. He's been here a lot. Gerard Ross, one of the newer hires at FSU. I think is a guy that he likes a great deal. I know they hit it off during his recent visit here, and he just will be one of those people that I think will kind of speak up for the 24 class, which I think Croman Hawk quarterback commitment has been a guy like that, but 
it helps to have one on each side of the ball. And I think uh, there's a good chance CJ is your guy on defense for that. With Croman Hawk in mind, he is legit. We've seen him throw yes. a couple times now, and he gets better every single time I see him throw. The, Chris, the way the ball comes off his hand, it just it it's different. It yeah, different. he was the best quarterback at showcase, and it wasn't close. And uh, the the biggest thing with Luke is he just hasn't played a lot of high school quarterback. Uh, you know, he's behind an SEC level guy there at his high school, so he's going to get the opportunity. But there's a reason a lot of schools have greenlit him already. Who don't have a whole lot of film to go off of and may have not even had him throw in person. He's got a great deal of ability. Yes. He, he was very, very good at that camp um, to quickly dive into Seminole showcase. I don't, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds there. You know, it was good to see a good amount of commitments for FSU come and actually compete. I think that speaks to who they are. Keldrick Falk, Lucas Simmons are a couple examples of that. LJ McCray, 2024 defensive lineman from Daytona Bay, Beach Mainland, I thought was maybe the best player on the entire field at that event. I loved watching him. I had never seen him in person live. His film is good, but in person, I was super impressed. Great build, very refined technique-wise, which comes with his father being a college coach at Bethune-Cookman, so he's one of those kids that's growing up around the game. But he was just really, really good. He's in a group with a guy like Keldrick Falk, who's a damn good football player, really enjoyable to watch. And I thought McCray was more impressive of the two on the day, which is kind of crazy to say. Uh, linebacker, not much to write home about. They had Ethan Pritchard, a younger kid that they offered back in June, who's from Sanford Seminole. Uh, his teammate, Max Buchanan, offensive lineman from 2025, was also at the event. Max is a kid I really like. Right now, I think he'd be a great interior lineman. The expectation for him is that he grows into more of a tackle body. So I think he's one of those guys that could do it. Again, another kid, his dad is the offensive line coach at Seminole. So he's got refined technique for a younger kid. Uh, Zalance Hurd was a 2023 O-lineman target who was there. He actually spent a couple days in Tallahassee alongside his father. Hurd is a massive body. 6'6", 310 is what he told us. I would presume he's a little bit heavier than that right now. Probably will play around 310 after camp. But he's a big guy. He uses his size and physicality at this point more so than technique. He's a guy that the college game will benefit him because he will learn to be better at doing a lot of things. But if you're just looking for sheer size, sheer ability to just throw people around ragdoll, he's got it. Uh, quarterback, we talked about Croman Hawk. I thought he was by far the best. FSU had uh, Brown, Wiseman, a couple others. Jacobs was the other one for 2023. None of them set my world on fire. I didn't watch them a ton. Wiseman probably had the most consistent best throws on the day. But still, I don't think that's where they need to go with using a scholarship at that position. Quarterback, you got to hit on. You can't have a guy on the roster for three to five years who's just not the guy. And I'm not sure Wiseman is the guy for FSU. He is a very good college player. He will be an excellent player in the group of five if he does not upgrade to the power five. Um, trying to think. Wide receiver, there was a young man from South Florida, McCoy. I'm forgetting his first name offhand. Uh, he's at Miami Central now. He's 2024, very, very good. I know FSU likes him a great deal. I believe he was at the FIU camp for them back in June, and he's a guy that they just very much liked at that event. Running back, Mike Mitchell was there, name we're keeping an eye on in 2023. They have any value, or I'm sorry, they have not offered him yet to this point in time. He's a Utah commitment. I think there's some more fact-checking they want to do with him before they go green light on him. Sam Singleton is still the guy for them at running back as their number one target. Singleton was not at FSU for the showcase because he was at the Lash Bash at Penn State on the same date. So just keeping that in mind. Uh, we talked a little bit about O-line. Simmons looked good. He's fun to watch in person. Rod Kearney looked good. And uh, Alex Atkins always gets dudes through the door. He he had a good group of 23, 24s, 25s. 
They offered a 24 from Pensacola for Pine Forest, who actually didn't work out much because he had a busted eardrum, so he couldn't take the contact because, you know, causes reverb and it's not fun. But he is, Jonathan Dennis is his name, very big kid. Uh, they like him a lot. He got an offer. I'll be writing a story about him in the coming days. Dude, I, I thought he was – like a coach at first when he walked in. Yeah. He has the player parent look going on for him for sure. He, uh, it, when you talk to him, you realize, yeah, that's still like a 16, 17 year old kid, but yeah, just the physical look of him. Yes. He looks like a grown man. There, there's been a few of those over the years where you have that moment. He was certainly that I didn't know who he was at first when I was watching O line D line and he wasn't working out. He was observing, but uh, I saw coach Norvell go over and speak to him. I chatted with him afterwards. He talked to Alex Atkins after things concluded He's somebody that they like a good bit, and he's interested in FSU because of proximity to home. You know, he's just down the road in Pensacola. It's an area FSU has made an emphasis in since the Mike Norvell era began to try to be more effective at recruiting kids from that area. Defensive back, wide receivers, I mentioned the receiver earlier. I didn't watch a lot of the one-on-ones there. Other people were in our group, Andrew Ivins, uh, Zach, yourself, Dane Draper. So I, I don't want to poke too much around there, but – for me, the guy at the camp who I had a wow moment with was L.J. McCray from Daytona Beach, Mainland. I just – I would take him without thinking twice, and I think FSU liked him a great deal. Positive with him. Mom and dad accompanied him on the visit. They came back on Sunday. FSU had a practice. They watched a little bit of practice. I think Odell Higgins and his father have a pretty good relationship. John Papuchas has been involved there too, and that's helped FSU. I just think FSU's done a good job early on, but that's a kid who's mature, smart, understands college game recruiting is not going to kind of take him uh by the hold and make him make rash decisions i think he's one of those kids that's going to put a lot of thought into where he ends up choosing because he understands what college means for a football player in the sense of development and getting better at your craft and everything else that comes along with that here we are said so we do quick recruiting talk we're 25 minutes in uh but there's a lot to go over do we want to talk about all the crystal balls following my crystal ball for Blake Nicholson? Is that something that interests you? I mean, we can dip into Blake Nicholson. Blake Nicholson spent uh, 96 hours basically at FSU last week. You know, it was only open for seven days and he spent more than half of it in Tallahassee. He was accompanied by his trainer and his parents. His trainer left town, I believe, a little bit prior to his parents leaving town with him at the end of the week. Uh, from what I understand, the parents and him went west of here to check out some places to live um, because there's a possibility of the parents moving from the West coast over here. If this is where Blake chooses, I felt like Blake's official in June was a business trip. Uh, You know, let me learn about this place, talk to the people, get that kind of feel for all those things. And I thought it went well. I felt like this was a return trip where it was like, uh, do I fit in here? Like plugging himself into the community, the environment, the team, everything that goes with that and seeing if it makes entire sense for him to choose it, because obviously it's a huge move. He'd be choosing FSU over Oregon, moving from the West coast to the East, all of that. I think he came away super impressed. I feel very, very good about where FSU stands with him. I went ahead and entered a crystal ball, Derek Ray, FSU's GM. There's some uh, ties there because of being from the same area. I think he's played a huge role in building that bridge for FSU uh, Randy Shannon did a good job of being an effective linebacker coach and connecting with the kid, which is his job in this task. And others on the staff have also done a good job. So I feel pretty good about where Blake Nicholson stands, as does Greg Biggins, Brandon Huffman, the two best out west in the entire country that cover recruiting. Steve Wiltfong, I believe, had a crystal ball in Oregon and is now F- on FSU. So that speaks to the confidence. When does he decide? He hasn't set a hard date. I think it will be here in the next 10 days. I, I think. There's a good chance by August 14th he is committed. 
Oh, you mentioned everyone else's crystal ball other than mine. <laughs> well, you you predated that conversation with mentioning that you you were the one who uh, was willing to jump off the bridge first before the rest of us followed you. <laughs> everyone wants to criticize Sinone, and then when he sets a trend, no one. Actually, I take no responsibility if Blake Nicholson does not commit to Florida State. That's all on Will Fong and Chris. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so last time Chris and I were together doing on the bench, it was right after the first day of camp. Chris was smitten because football was back and the team looked organized and in tune with the coaches and uh, things just seemed pretty good. Now that we've had six days of practice, that includes two days in shells and a third day in full pads. So a small sample size, but enough to start gleaning some things and getting a sense of of what this team's composition is. So I want to go position by position, Chris, go over just things that we've learned and talk about. It's just taking inventory basically. All but right. first, the first general thoughts on what we've seen through six days. Pleasing. Um, uh, it, you know, I, I'm a pessimist when it comes to FSC football here in recent years, because I've watched a lot of bad football and a lot of bad versions of football and a lot of teams that weren't very well composed. This one is a much better looking football team, both physically and with depth. Uh, still a lot of young guys that are kind of trying to break through and figure things out, but I feel like they've recruited some pretty good talent in those young guy ranks. I also think the infusion of transfer talent has taken a pretty good hold, and they've hit on a majority of those, which is important. Um, there's not a whole lot of spots where I look and I have a great deal of concern. There are spots where there is concern, and we'll get into that. Receiver, tight end, for example, on offense are still two where I'm not ready to say, oh, I'm all in on it but I feel a little bit better about where things stand today versus where they were when the season wrapped in November last year. Let's get into it. Let's start with the quarterback on offense. Uh, this is obviously the Jordan Travis show. He enters camp and enters this offseason as quarterback one. I, I think he's looked solid, Chris. I think he's looked good. There's some areas of his game that are expanding, uh, able to throw some different passes that maybe he wasn't as comfortable with even a year ago. And, and last year was a jump forward for him as well. So, Continues to expand the game. I understand that FSU really likes the way he's managing the offense, uh, getting them in the right pre-play checks and whatnot. So he's been encouraging so far, but I think that was kind of our – we entered camp with the expectation that he would continue to, to progress. Yeah, and with Jordan, they want him to stand in the pocket a little bit more and look downfield. I think he's been effective at that. He's also done a very good job of taking what's there and doing it. He's also very few turnovers, which is obviously immensely important at that position. No bad days either. Like I thought day six, uh, yesterday, first full day in pads, he was a little rusty, a little slow, uh, getting warmed up, I guess, uh, with the seven-on-seven and one-on-ones, but he eventually settled in and and looked fine. So uh, he, he's been solid. The two other quarters, now let's start off with A.J. Duffy. Uh, A.J., did not look good the first couple of days of practice. He looked kind of like he was swimming a little bit. Now they threw a lot of stuff at all the quarterbacks, but him being you know, a true freshman, I think he was struggling to process a lot of things, tucking the ball, running a lot. But Chris, the last two and a half practices or so, I think things have kind of turned around for him a little bit. Yeah, was it day four that he had to roll to his left where he kind of pitched it forward, took what was there, and then he had to roll to his right where he went over the top with a nice yep. moving throw? It's the, like that roll to the right. That roll to the right changed everything for him. I think. Yeah. 
those were back to back. And I just felt like there was an injection of confidence for him there. Now there are still moments uh, there, for example, a wheel route out of backfield where you can hit it the minute the guy breaks the plane at the line of scrimmage. He doesn't make the throw and say he holds, repumps, goes vertical. He still connects on the throw. But if he goes with a quick throw there, it's probably the throw they want him to make. There's still moments of hesitation, but that's normal for a young quarterback. He's still only in his 21st practice in the college game. Uh, Mike Norvell has heaped a good bit of praise on him, saying he's ahead of where any quarterback of that age that he's had is at this point. I think some of that's, you know, gassing a guy up a bit, uh, trying to invoke more confidence. But he does have some moments where you're like, yeah, that guy can beat a guy that's your quarterback of the future. It's not always there. It's not always consistent. And there's still moments where I think he tucks it a bit too much and goes or is just hesitant. Hopefully with time, those things go away. It's not the same kind of hesitation that's caused issues for others where it leads to interceptions. It's more super cautiousness. And I I think as you get more comfortable and you get more reps, that stuff usually deteriorates and turns into taking the play that's there, which is what we've seen Jordan Travis take a step with. Tate had a good day yesterday, best day of the preseason for him so far. Yeah, I, uh, Tate's one knows that. Like, I'll believe it when the lights are on and he's doing it in a game setting. That's where I'm at with him. Yeah, that, and, and yesterday too, just for context, like there was a drive. They did a lot of 11 on 11 uh, just, and it wasn't quite a scrimmage, but probably the closest thing to a scrimmage that we've seen so far in camp where they just kind of let the team go out there and, and offense try to sustain drives. And when they you know did it and there was a quote-unquote punt, the next unit would, would come in and take over. Uh, so it was ones, twos, threes, whatnot. And Tate had one drive where he was awesome. I mean, he was taking what the defense gave him initially, and then he aired it out a couple times. He dropped a dime to Marcus and Douglas for a touchdown. Uh, but that whole drive, he was just – he was really precise. And that was – to me, like, that's the window of, like, that's what you want Tate Rotomaker to be. That's his upside. That's his, his ceiling is that type of quarterback where he can hit a bunch of different throws, uh, be fairly mobile, move around some too. Uh, that's what you hope he is. I will say this on the very next drive. He had one of the worst passes I've seen in camp where he put the ball way behind Johnny Wilson. Uh, Johnny made actually a pretty good play. I, I think to, to knock the ball down and prevent it from being what should have been a, a Travis J interception. It was just, it was a pass that involved precision and, and timing and rhythm and, uh, and Tate just didn't deliver. So that, that's the Tate Rodemaker experience uh, so far is, is there are physical tools there. There are things that in times where you say, oh, there's there's definitely something to build on, but it needs to be more consistent and it can't be a catastrophic mistake. It's one thing to miss a play. It's another when it's leading to turnover worthy plays. And that's been really the big, the big bugaboo with him early in his career. So going from quarterbacks, we'll go to pass catchers. So we'll talk receivers and tight ends. Receiver groups, obviously one that a lot of people are interested in. The best way I can encapsulate it is I believe it was Friday's practice was arguably the best practice I've seen around these parts in a long, long time. The reason for that, receivers were effective. They caught the ball consistently. They made plays downfield. They also created separation, and they won 50-50 balls. All things that haven't happened here a whole heck of a lot consistently in recent years at that position. Now, the reverse of that, there's been days where drops have been a major issue. Yesterday was an example of some drops bugging them i believe the day before the very good day on thursday they had drop issues so that position is still so up and down at times but there are flashes deuce spans a pretty popular name here early in camp there's reasons for that he gets vertical very fast very athletic guy the route running eh, it's middle of the road at best but he's a guy that you can scheme open you can get the ball to he can put points on the board scoreboard lighter as jimbo fisher like to call some people uh, you know, Ja'Kai Douglas has been super steady. We know what Ja'Kai is. I think he kind of emerged late last year. That has carried over into preseason camp. 
Micah Pittman, when he catches it, he runs the best routes, I think, on the entire team. He gets himself open. He does a good job. Most times when he's dropping it, it's like a concentration thing more so than he doesn't have good hands. It's a matter of, like, finish the catch and then go. That's what has bugged him at times. And I will say Micah will beat himself up more than anybody else. So, like, I'm not worried about it. I feel like he's a kid that's very motivated to be as good as he can be. I usually feel good about those types. And that's been a one-day thing, mostly yeah. a one-day thing. It hasn't yeah, I been think like it was his... Thursday of last yeah. week is when he had he had three that day and he was about ready to break his helmet in half. <laughs> but he's been fine otherwise. So just just for context, like it hasn't been this we've yeah. seen him for what 20-something practices at this point, and that hasn't really been a a persistent theme so far. Yeah, and Johnny Wilson's more a guy who that's been an issue and more so in the spring than preseason. Johnny's been pretty right. good in the preseason. Big thing about Johnny is the size. He's a willing blocker, but he's also a guy that's a huge red zone threat. Throw it up in the back of the end zone in the air. He's going to go up and try to get it. I'm not talking like a jump ball 50-50. I'm talking about something thrown at the crossbar that he leaps up, and there's not a whole lot of people that can defend him on that. Johnny's been pretty good overall in the preseason. He's a guy that he's kind of been what they brought him in to be, which is a catch radius guy that can work mm-hmm. in the middle of the field. Also can get a little bit vertical just because of the size and win in tight space and definitely a guy that's going to help you in the red zone. Some of the returning guys, Pokey Wilson's had a pretty good preseason, I think it's fair to say. Um, Taking a step forward, but I don't think it's a massive step forward. I still, FSU desperately needs other people to eclipse Pokey Wilson. They need Pokey Wilson to be a rotational guy, a depth guy, a first, second team type guy. They don't need him to be the guy at the position. A little more physical, I think, for Pokey. I think that's been the encouraging thing. They talked about him bulking up a little bit. He's been better at winning some of the contested catches and whatnot, so he's been solid there. Yeah. Um, two two others I can think of, Malik McClain. He's had some good moments stepping forward a little bit. Uh, he had one the other day where he separated in a tight space to make the catch at the end of the play. He just has to be that guy more consistently. Another guy where consistency is a huge piece of the puzzle is Tron. I thought Tron's first three day, days of camp were really, really good put together. He's continued that to a bit of a degree. It's still a matter of like, he's got to do it every time. Tron seems to be the guy that they needle the most in the sense of like, keep capitalizing on good experiences, flush the bad ones. Consistency is the biggest thing with Tron. And that's been true now dating back to last preseason. So just adding to a couple of your thoughts on the wide receivers, uh, again, Chris and I have a pretty similar sensibility for football. I think we agree most of, of the time with what we're seeing. Uh, also with Johnny Wilson, I, I thought you had a really good point, Chris. I mentioned not just winning like these 50-50 jump balls. It's almost kind of pejorative when, when people talk about like that's why he was brought in to just be this jump ball specialist. That mean like it m- makes you think that you're just throwing the ball up to him and, and say, hey, go get it. Yeah. The catch radius that he provides on the perimeter is a way he's open when he's not open type of deal. There was a great example of that uh, yesterday. Uh, Jay Trav went high on purpose to Johnny Wilson. Johnny's body control and his flexibility at six foot seven is pretty absurd. That is like quintessential, ideal, prototypical like what you want from Johnny Wilson was him to go kind of twist up, get it, and for the quarterback to trust. Hey, I'm gonna put this up high. No one else in the world can go get it if I put it in the spot. And and it wasn't a jump ball, like some junk 50-50 go get it. It was a precision pass and a perfectly executed catch. And, yeah. and that's what he provides. FSU system, they love back shoulder. It's something, if they can execute consistently, it's something that will definitely be part of the offense. A guy like Johnny does a pretty effective job with plays like that. Kentron's another guy who's had his moments with those plays too. Oh, him and Tate 
typically like that's just this one two punch in practices that is always kind of kind of prevalent. We even saw it in the spring game. Uh, Malik McLean, I thought Chris has done a much better job making those type of catches this, this preseason than he didn't. <laughs> oh boy. That one got you. Getting ahead of myself. <laughs> it's like my wife, I'll say something stupid and I think no one's going to notice it. And like she slowly looks over uh, and I realize that the, the gig is up. Uh, but Malik has really good body control. I think he's done a nice job with his his arm length kind of being an asset for him and winning those type of contested catches where the quarterbacks are having more trust and hey if I put it outside he's going to extend to get it and have the body control to to be the only guy who can make a play on this ball so that's been a nice development I think he I think him and you know, Pokey had probably his worst day of, of preseason camp on uh, on day six but he's been pretty good I think Malik's maybe been the second most consistent wide receiver outside of, of Pokey uh, last two points I want to make were Darren Williamson has missed some part of camp. Mike Norvell talked about this the other day. He was in a car accident right before they reported for camp. Uh, apparently, he, he's he's fine. He practiced full go uh, yesterday. It was the first time he'd been totally 100% like they had him out there. He looks really good. Good Darian. Uh, for him, it's it's kind of like with Kentron. It's about consist- consistency. There's a lot of physical tools there, but seeing if you can kind of harness that consistent, uh, all those physical tools consistently. Uh, and then do span, Chris mentioned. I, I will say this, like the, the route running is still probably below average, but based on where it was starting at in the spring to where it is now, like it's serviceable. There's sometimes where he runs really good routes and really crisp and gets a lot of separation. There's other times where he just looks kind of tentative and not really sure of himself. I think that's a, uh, I think that's him playing the position for only about a year and a half or so. He's a career quarterback, but in terms of like physically, like he's added even more strength. Like he, he almost ran into me the other day on the sideline and I thought I was going to die. I think that's the best way to put it. Like he came, he, he had, he flew over so fast and I had to make a decision whether to jump out of the way or just kind of sit there and take the charge of just a little bit step to the right. I don't move that well these days, but you don't really get a sense for how big and how fast he is until it's coming right at you like that. Um, so phrasing. Yeah. So that was, he's been a pleasant surprise to me at wide receiver. So what do we have for the confidence ratings going into camp? Like a four out of 10? Yeah, it was in that ballpark. I would put it more out of five, five. gravitating towards a six. I, the one thing I do like about that room as a whole, uh, I feel like the attitude is very good for that room. I feel like the desire to be better is good for that room. I feel like the effort consistently is good from that group. Even when they do have those bad days, drops, failures, you know, they mess something up and they're getting torn into by Norvell or Dugan's. I feel like the response is pretty good. And that's growth from where they were a year ago as a whole. Some of that is people that exited stage left and people that entered, but still. Yeah, that, that room's culturally, and I think some of the older guys being you know, adding to that and adding to the competition has been good. I'm probably still between a four and a five on that, but that, that's fine. That's still improvement from where it was a year ago. It's just a group that's when, still not consistent. When they are good, yeah, FSU is a pretty decent football team. And yeah, that, that was noticeable last Friday. If their wide receivers are consistently winning tough catches, I think that's a top 20 offense nationally. The issue is that I don't think they'll be able to channel that all the time. Yeah, so I think I you'll agree. have I think you'll have days where in games where uh, you're able to overachieve expectations and they have others where you're going to have to rely heavily on the run game and, and just hope to hit some splash plays. But again, contextually, that that is progress trying to go from a five win team to a seven win team. That's how you can find some differences in the margins. Uh, let, let's move to tight ends, Chris. 
I'm all aboard. I'm buying stock in Brian Courtney right now before you can. You have Jackson West. I have Wyatt Rector. Uh, I am now adding to my portfolio of tight ends with Brian Courtney. So Brian Courtney gets off the line unbelievably well compared to his other uh, teammates in that room. He also wins in a phone booth. He's willingly physical, and he's just a good athlete, and he does a good job of snatching the ball. Uh, the biggest issue Jackson West has had, and this has dated back to the spring, is just bad drops. Uh, he had one the other day in practice where it's a simple little curl, short route, not a whole lot of effort, not a whole lot of work. Ball's right at him, and he just drops it. Powers also had one of those, but Powers is a true freshman. You you sort of expect that. Who did the ball hit in the helmet in one-on-ones outside? You may not have been outside. I can't remember who it was, but there was a corner out, and it was such a good pass over a DB. I don't think that whoever the wide receiver tight end was expecting it. It pegged them in the face mask and, like, bolted up like five, ten yards in the air. It was kind of funny. I don't remember, but the tight end group is still a concern. Cam McDonald's not working out. Mike Norvell has said that on record, so that's something we can put out there and stay. So obviously, number one in that room is currently not available. But that room's always been about who's going to emerge as their second guy as a receiver type and their second guy as a blocking type or even maybe their first type as a blocking type. I think Markston Douglas's best value is as a capable blocker. He's a big-bodied kid, you know, biscuit because he wasn't that far away from being an O-lineman. When he walked through the door, he's got himself in better shape. But Douglas's value is still that he's probably a very good blocker. He's not super quick off the line. He does do a good job working down the field, and he does make some very good catches. Touchdown catch yesterday that Brendan referenced earlier, for example. So Douglas has his moments. Rector Sorter is what he is, a guy that will put his face in a fan, a uh, decent athlete. You know, we, we know what White Rector is. We know why they like him because of special teams. Uh, Preston Daniels kind of falls in the same exact category as White Rector to a lesser degree. But that room still just it, it needs more. It has to be more. I don't know that Brian Courtney can beat a guy this early in his career consistently, but there are moments where I do think that, where he's a guy that can be a difference maker for him in that room. Just because the athleticism, I think, is maybe the best of anybody currently in that room. And he's also physical. Like he he is very comfortable at being very physical, whether it's at the line trying to stop somebody, getting downfield and getting off a jam, or in a tight space trying to make the catch where he has to create a little bit of space just to give himself the opportunity. I've liked that about him consistently in camp. Yeah, I, th- I think the to be fair, when I'm talking about Brian Courtney and buying stock, I'm talking about that being the long-term uh, prospect. Uh, it's probably not fair to put that on him right now. Remember, this is a guy who's playing quarterback in high school at a pretty low classification of high school in Virginia uh, up until a few months ago, until he enrolled in the spring. So it's uh, someone that is a developmental prospect, but the physical tools that Chris mentioned, I mean, those flash – they, they pop out. I'm trying to say flash as few times as possible as podcast. I think I've avoided it until now. We're 46 minutes in. That's pretty damn good. Uh, but he does have a, a – he's just so toolsy, and he, he's able to go catch the ball at its highest point, and he doesn't mind being physical with the safety, going to battle for a football, wins a lot of those 50-50 proposition plays, that it is like a legitimate, hey, go up and get it. Um, and like Chris said, he just explodes off the ball. Saw some things yesterday with him as a blocker that was really encouraging as well. When I asked Mike Norrell about him yesterday, I thought Mike's answer was pretty illuminating because the question was, is he someone who could help out sooner rather than later? And Mike qualified it being like, he's learning the position, he's young, but also he's someone that I think, even if it's just special teams, uh, you have to consider how often can we get them on the field as a freshman because there's something something there. 
So I know people don't love the tight end room in a way FSU goes about assembling the tight end room. So quick discussion I want to throw in here because I just think it needs to be had. They look for a specific type of skill sets and guys that do a lot of different things individually in that room. It's part of the reason there's so many numbers dedicated to that room. I don't love it. I'd love a Swiss Army knife who was kind of good at everything, very athletic, could do it all. That would be awesome. That's not how they go about assembling that room. So like Wyatt Rector and the things he brings to it, they like that. Brian Courtney and the athleticism capability he brings to it might be more than what they have with most others. Marcus and Douglas, big body, can be a good inline blocker, most likely capable at getting down the field and catching the ball. You know, Cam McDonald was an adopted member of that room. That's not a guy they brought into that room. So I'm talking more about the guys they have added in their time here. I just think that's a discussion that should be had. I still don't love it. I, I'd love for them to go get, you know, an elite level tight end who can do a bit of everything, capable blocker at line, get down the field, be a difference maker in the middle of the field as a pass catcher at a high level. I would love that. That's not who and what they are at that position. And they haven't recruited in that way at that position either. Let's talk about the ground game a little bit. Jordan Travis, obviously a huge part of that. No surprise. We, we know from watching the last two years that he's a factor. The running back room was one that when we started talking about the group and, and what it was comprised of going into spring practice, I think Chris and I were pretty low on it. When it exited spring practice, we were a little bit more bullish, actually a good deal more bullish. That, to me, Chris, has only maintained that, that level of optimism in that group continues to trend upwards. I I really like what they have there. Yeah, and FSU wants to be a better passing team, but don't mistake it. They're going to run the damn ball, and they're going to run it at a high level, and I think that's going to be the identity of their offense. Trey Benson is must-see TV. He's, he's awesome watching practice, sudden movements, very aggressive north-south physical runner, looks apart 100% from a physical build. He's quick. He's fast. I'm not betting against Treshawn Ward. Yards per carry last year was excellent. He's a foxhole buddy. He's the kind of guy that he wants to win. He wants to battle. He he ticks at a different level than most players on the football field, and that's an excellent asset to have in that room. And I think Treshawn Ward will be their starter at kickoff. I'm not convinced he is at the end of the season. I think Trey Benson has a great chance of becoming number one on that depth chart. Oh, you mean at running back? Okay, I thought you meant kickoff returner, and I was like, oh, maybe, but but maybe Trey Benson will be the kickoff returner. But I don't think it matters in the end who's one, who's two in the running back room because they're going to play a bunch of them. Others, Toe Philly, he's been pretty consistent this preseason. He, he's looked to just kind of get real comfortable with who and what he is. And last year he was starting to get that way in season. And then the injury at the end of the Clemson game happened and kind of, you know, stole a bit of the back half of the season for the young man. CJ Campbell. I mean, I wish all walk-ons were like that kid. He, he busts his backside. He's fully capable. He can contribute if numbers called Rodney Hills, a true freshman through the door, kind of in a toe Philly mold in the sense of being a pretty good pass catcher can do a lot of different things. Rodney Hill has a moment every now and then where you go, yeah, they hit on that one. Like they, yeah. they did a good job. I think that's everybody that's in that room off the top of my head. That is the running back room. It's not a yeah. super numerous uh, room, but I don't know if that makes sense. But yeah, there, there's quality there. Rodney Hill, I, you said it the exact way I was going to, Chris, is that I, I'm confident early on here, Mick, oh, I think that was a hit. That was a guy who uh, who'd you beat out for? You, you flipped him from Virginia and there weren't a whole lot of other power yeah. five offers or interests. Um, you hit on him. I'm I'm pretty confident that he'll be someone who contributes in some capacity or another. Very natural the way he runs the ball and probably the second like fastest accelerator in the room outside of, of Trey Benson. Uh, the only thing I'll add for to what Chris said. Oh, go ahead. 
I was just going to say for a coaching staff that loves gadget type players and who does an effective job using those guys for who and what they are, Rodney Hill fits really well. Yes, I, I agree. And, and speaking of gadgets, that's what I was going to add to. I think what Chris has said about Trey Benson, we've talked about him on other platforms. We know what it is. Same thing with Trey Sean Ward. We know what he is. The, the wild card of that group to me at this point, I think it's Lawrence Tofilly. What I've liked about him this this summer, Chris, is that he's catching the ball pretty cleanly. Not that it was a, a weakness for him, but him going and getting the ball, him being aggressive when when they get him the ball in different ways, which, again, we know that's something that they they do based on how he was used last year. Uh, him being that gadgety player, uh, being a little bit stronger, being a little bit more physical, that's pleasant uh, the way that's trending for, for him. Finally, on offense, let's get to the offensive line. 19 scholarship players. There's a lot to get to. We talked about this on day one. It just looked a little bit different, not just the number of guys there, but but the beefiness of each uh, player. And you know what? I'll be damned through six days and with the pads on, uh, the depth of that line continues to just kind of show and, and that there's capable bodies that, that go well beyond what we've seen at Florida State in the last four or five years. Yeah, the competitiveness of O-line versus D-line is night and day from where it was a year ago. And the depth is what stands out. When FSU goes from first team to second team reps, it does not fall off a cliff like it did last year. Even third even team. Run, even, even third team. They yep. can run a third team out there and it's capable. I said on X's and Nulls, I think there's 10 guys they can rely upon right now pretty confidently on that O-line. There's eight of them who I feel really confident about. Um, it, it's in a pretty good spot. It's where they want it to be. Obviously, it's always going to need to get better. They're going to continue to have to recruit. They still need to get a guy who's probably a true left tackle without a shadow of doubt, and they've done that with Lucas Simmons. But it is so much better than it was when they walked through the door. It's amazing. I mean, hell, I thought the talent at Seminole Showcase was better than their offensive line when they got here. And it I certainly said that passed the eye test. It certainly passed the eye test more yeah. um, with Lucas there. So speaking of it, you know, Robert Scott's kind of steady Eddie. He's what we know he is. He's been good. Darius Washington, as Mike Norvell referenced, I believe, yesterday, he's a mm-hmm. little bit slowed. He's working his way back, so he hasn't been thrown in there quite as much. Bless Harris has been someone who's exceeded my expectation. I thought Bless was going to be more depth piece. At this point, I think he's fully capable of being their starter, quite possibly at right tackle. Uh, Dimitri Emanuel is a large human being who moves people. When it's him and Dylan Gibbons at the two guard spots, that's a whole lot of beef pushing people forward. It's fun to watch. Maurice Smith, credit to him. I didn't think he had a very good day yesterday, but in general, over the six days, I think he's been good, and he's been much better than he was a year ago with handling taking on big bodies at defensive tackle and not getting shoved back. He he has not relented at holding on to his position. He has busted his backside, added weight, worked really hard, and brought it consistently with good effort day in, day out to keep that job over Caden Lyles. Caden Lyles, to some degree, has disappointed me a little bit. I probably had too high of expectations for him coming out of portal. But I thought he was going to come in and just seize that position, take it from Maurice. And some of that's what Maurice was last year and what FSU needed at that spot. The fact that Maurice is in that conversation isn't because Caden's been disappointing. I don't want to paint that picture. It's because Maurice has done an excellent job of elevating himself. And that's pleasing. And the fact that they do now have Caden Lyles behind him, where if we get stuck in the rut of some of the issues that happened last year at the interior spot, it's pleasing that, you know, you have that one-two punch, no matter how it turns out when the depth chart comes out, you have that and you feel a lot better about what that is. Uh, you know, young group, I like in general, it's very tough for a freshman O-lineman to play and to get thrown into. And I think the good thing for FSU is they're no longer in a position where they're going to have to do that. Julian Armella has done well. They've worked on some at both tackle spots, I believe. 
I think he's more right than left side as far as long-term where he's going to be, and I think recruiting should allow that with a guy like Lucas Simmons, who I think is more left than anything else. Quayshon Sapp's a big old human. Uh, he's done a good job working hard. He will be a very good guard for them long-term. I don't think he's somebody they're going to have to rely upon this year, barring some really disappointing injuries. Speaking of injuries, a guy coming back from one is Thomas Schrader. I don't know if Schrader contributes this year. He has a long road back from where he was, but I do like Thomas Schrader a lot. I think Thomas Schrader is a guy that helps him long-term. Uh, he just has a good vision for an offensive lineman. He's a kid that likes the weight room, kind of like Bryson Estes, who I know Brendan's going to talk about. And I just think Schrader can be good. I don't think he's in that 10 or even that 8 I referenced earlier. I think he's just on the cusp of it. And someone like Schrader and transitioning to a couple other guys, you, one, well, I guess you mentioned technically both of them now at this point, but to elaborate, like they, they might be guys at the end of the year that you feel more comfortable relying on depending on how they develop. I think Thomas Schrader fits in that mold of someone who could become kind of a steady uh, reserve for you, perhaps in the course of the season. Same thing with Bryson Estes. I think there's still a lot of, developing to do he's someone who i think will definitely be in the mix to start in like a year or so there, there's definitely something there he he's held up really well in pass protection he's weight room strong like probably one of the strongest guys they have on the roster uh he's certainly someone who's trending in the right direction i would buy stock in right now uh and then julian armella has a little bit of like nastiness to him he's he went and uh gave gave jared verse the business the other day which jared verse likes to likes to talk quite a bit, and Julian Armella threw it right back at him when, when he won the rep. I think Julian is probably the most ready of the freshman offensive linemen. What, they have five true freshman offensive linemen? One, two, three, four, six. Six true freshman offensive linemen. I don't think that uh, – yes, Chris, I see your text message. We will talk about Justin Turnitin in a second. Uh, Just want to make sure. that I appreciate the heads up there. Uh, we will – we will talk about him in a second, but with Julian Armella, I think of those six guys, I wouldn't be surprised if he's on the travel squad this season. I don't think you'll see any of them really travel with the team because of the depth and experience they've added elsewhere. Uh, but he's someone I think that you might feel comfortable like as your your third, well, I guess in the sense like fourth, ta- fourth tackle uh, in the pinch in a game, maybe someone who can sp- play on special teams. Okay, uh, real quick on that. If, yeah. if you get in a situation where you have to hit that number, is it him or Lloyd Willis? Uh, in the first month of the season, probably Lloyd Willis. Uh, by the end of the by midpoint in the season, I, I have this gut feeling that Armella is going to start moving up the depth chart. So it's a good old give Lloyd a chance. If it doesn't work, we know we can move on to this guy. That's kind of where you sit on it. Yeah, and some of it too is just giving Armella a chance to like he's he's still a freshman. I think physically he looks the part. Feet aren't as fast as I would would like, but his strength is going to be that he's strong and nasty. I think. Um. So so yeah, very competitive. Yes, I like that. Uh, and Tavius Woody is one of the freshmen whose uh, grittiness has stood out to me. Uh, I think there's something to him to, to kind of keep monitoring. Again, not this season, but but someone who I think looks like signs of, of hitting on pretty early on in, in the evaluation process. Let's go to Big Justin Turnitin. He's been, to me, Chris, a little up and down, but his ups are damn impressive. And and I think, uh, I think he represents an upgrade from what your third or fourth offensive tackle was last year for sure. Yeah, huge body. Um, all right, six seven, I think it is three thirty six ish. Really, really a big human being. He is the swing lineman for them at this point. Kind of what I thought Bless was going to be when they recruit him. I feel like Jazz has turned more into that role. That's fair. And remember, when Darius Washington is one hundred percent, he may end up having that role as someone who can legitimately play tackle, guard, center if they decide not to start him and get him snap sprinkled in somewhere else. So 
it'll be interesting to see how the dynamic of the room changes when Darius is 100%. Uh, only thing I will add for the, for the offensive line is Chris mentioned on on him being beefy and and strong. I like Demetri Emmanuel a lot. I think he's he's been as good as advertised of what they were hoping he was, and and that advertisement wasn't him being a superstar by any means, but just being a really solid run blocker, someone who wasn't going to get pushed around and pass pro. I think he hits he hits that uh, criteria for you. I think he's he's really solid. I think he'll be an upgrade over what you had at right guard last year, which was a hobbled Devontae Love-Taylor. He's He stabilizes right guard spot, uh, in my opinion. Uh, anything else until we – blah, 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 three, two, no. one. Anything else before we go to defensive line? Dave obviously over-recruited offensive line, but, man, if you're going to do it somewhere, that's the place to do it, and that's something that this university, this program has had to resolve for so long, and – it's definitely trending in such a much better direction. And I think the fact that it is trending in a better direction has allowed them to recruit better too. So I I think there's a benefit to the product that you're putting on the field today and the product you're hoping to assemble for the future that they have gotten from a return perspective of what they've done at offensive line. Okay. So transitioning to defense in general, I think that group has played really fast and been very physical and that cohesiveness, the continuity was a storyline we were interested in going into to camp here. I, I think that's upheld from the spring and only been added and, and bolstered. It's a group that seems really confident and really uh, self-assured with, with what it can do. Uh, defensive end group is really the one that has the most question marks to me because of what you lose from last season. Uh, however, that being said, I think Dennis Briggs has gotten progressively better as he's kind of shaken off some of the rust from, from being a little dinged up uh, still in spring camp. He had a really good day uh, two days ago, or sorry, day six, a day ago, depending on when you're listening to this, but Day six, first full day in pass is when he shined the most, which is a good sign. Jared Verse is someone that I think extremely highly of. Yeah, I don't know if he'll start or, or be the backup, but I don't think that really matters a ton. Like, he's going to play a lot and someone who has just a ton of energy, fast, physical, likes to talk. Uh, there's a lot of criteria that's checked for him. And then I think the third guy in that group that you feel pretty good about starting or playing a, a big role is Derek McClendon. The growth that he made in the spring – has only kind of been solidified here in camp. He hasn't regressed. He hasn't backed down a little bit. So I, I think, I don't know, because I feel decent about that trio is kind of your nucleus, and then you kind of work from there. Yeah, and the thing with McClendon is when you're going in the spring and they're talking him up, you're thinking, oh, they're just talking him up because they got to have somebody. Like, they got that position needs who's next after Keir Thomas, Jermaine Johnson. Now nah, he's lived up to that. He's been very good consistently day-to-day. Physically, he's still making a great deal of progress. He looks so different than he did 12, 18 months ago. And the athleticism is even better than it was as he bulked up. Um, yeah, I'm I, very pleased with where D-Mac is. And D-Mac's a guy that really likes playing a game. He's very receptive to coaching. It's noticeable in practice. Other names I'd mentioned in that room, Pat Payton, I think he's the next man up. They feel pretty good about what he's done. And Byron Turner has been the guy that's probably flashed most of the sort of unknowns, for lack of a better term, in that room. Byron Turner obviously didn't have a preseason last year. I think he had, what, shoulder, labrum, elbow, something like that, surgery. So he was sidelined. He's looked good. He's had moments, uh, practice three maybe, inside the facility at one point. He shot off the edge a couple times and really disrupted things. And, yeah, it, it was it was worth watching. Like I, I feel pretty good that they have four to five in that room that they can kind of lean upon. I love Dennis Briggs. I think the world of Dennis Briggs, I think he's got a mature approach to the football game. He's a big body. He's athletic. He's got a lot of experience of playing on the edge and playing inside. I, I think he's a massive asset for them. Um, I'm the fan club president. Just wanted to get that in there. 
Letter Warner is a name that I'll mention just as a rotational piece. I know some people listening to this are rolling their eyes because they've seen enough Leonard Warner in their careers. This is what is 10th, 11th season. But- I didn't have children when Leonard Warner came back this year. <laughs> and I actually- damn near have one in high school now. Uh, Leonard Warner has at least been like there's there's a role for him that I think he could he can play and be a replacement level player and that that's fine that that helps with depth. Uh, George Wilson is one last player I'll mention because I agree with everything Chris said. George Wilson is someone that if you had asked me at the end of last season would he be in a position to contribute at FSU? Uh, one just the weight I wasn't super obviously like at 215 pounds isn't enough but just like the energy and the effort wasn't quite what I would would think is is FSU acceptable level. I think that's starting to turn a little bit. He's starting to figure it out, starting to play faster. There's times where he does get uh, pinned back a little bit and, and the lack of strength really is evident in the run game. But in terms of just the athleticism, when he opens up and pursues the quarterback, the ability to kind of hit a spin move or turn a corner, Adam Fuller said ahead of the, the starter camp that he's someone that they could look at maybe situationally in sub-packages, passing downs. I don't know if he's quite there yet to where I would – take some of the other guys off the field for him, but maybe by middle of the season, like if that's someone who keeps making some steady progress, I at least see the road to him having a, you know, having a role at Florida state sooner or later. Uh, yeah, so his, his physicality has to improve a great deal because at that position, you just got to get off blocks. You got to be able to do things. But if you just want pure speed guy, who's long shooting off the edge, he does have that value to him. And they're definitely trying to mine it. They're trying to tap into it. But he's in a crucial window of he has to start really taking the next step. He has to bulk up substantially. He needs to get on that DMAC plan that has paid off so greatly for DMAC of just getting much larger on your frame while retaining good athleticism. Moving to the defensive line, we're going a little bit over an hour right now. So we'll try to speed along here with the back half of the defense. Uh, But first with the defensive line, I mean, there's not a ton. I should say defensive tackles. There's not a ton, Chris, that we've we've learned has been revelatory. Like with Robert Cooper and Fabian Lovett, we knew what FSU was getting with those two. I think Fabian has continued to kind of blossom as a leader with Jermaine Johnson, Kier Thomas gone. Fabian Lovett's the one talking to guys. He's the one pulling guys to the side. He's the one telling people what's what. And, and even the other day, like defensive guys on the sideline while another unit was in, um, I guess the second or third string, I don't, it's not a secret that Fabian Lovett's probably going to be starting for Florida state this year. Uh, that's not a house secret. Uh, he basically started yelling to everyone to get back because they were kind of drifting away and getting out of the sideline. And he's just like, no, like get behind the sideline. We're not going to practice standing in the wrong place. Like that's leadership. That's culture. That's all good stuff there. Robert Cooper, uh, other than the, the Mike Norvell races at the start of practice, which are, which are always fun. You know, he's, he's been what you expect big coop to be. So those two guys are strong. Uh, what would you say about the, the next wave of players, Chris? Malcolm Ray, who continues to progress at a really good manner. Uh, Malcolm Ray showed flashes last year, was a good player, and truthfully was a pretty consistent player last year, and that's continued. feel great about where Malcolm Ray stands. Josh Farmer's another guy who's very much in that mix. Before you get to Farmer, you probably need to talk Jarrett Jackson. Jarrett's done a good job. They list him at 6'6", 300 these days. He's in drastically better shape than when he walked through the door. Jared Jackson's ceiling is maybe the highest of anybody at that group. Holy crap. There was one play where he had to make it out to the perimeter and like, wow, the length and athleticism, like there's it's just not always there. Yeah. That, that the difference between what Fabo and Coop and guys like that at the top of the heap do versus Jared is that you know you're getting it play and play out with Jared. It's it's the flash syndrome. It's the here and there, but it's been better. Biggest thing I want to see out Jarrett Jackson moving on in preseason. 
stay out there consistently. Uh, for whatever reason, he's a guy that you know gets dinged a lot or cramps, stuff like that. You got to be on a best ability in football is availability. Be that. Mm-hmm. The other thing is do it more consistently. Turn in those flashes because he can be a massive piece as a second team guy who can come in and wreak havoc, wreck everyone, and get out when the other guys go back in. Next man up, Josh Farmer. He's a massive body. Uh, him leaning on people just won't be fun for the opposing team, especially if FSU is going five or six deep at that position. They could always slide Dennis Briggs in there too in certain situations and use him as an interior guy. I think they feel great about it. I don't think they go much beyond that in, as far as in-game situations. Uh, you know, I've, I've been pleased with Daniel Lines for a true freshman. He's a guy that there's been a decent amount of good buzz since the spring about who and what he can be long-term at a position where it's always about how they're going to develop, how they're going to get better. Bishop Thomas is an odd guy. He flashes at you at times. He also has other times where he wholeheartedly looks like a freshman. But he's he's got kind of a weird uh, energy and speed to him for his build and shape. He, he's deceiving is maybe a good way I can put it. And then Ao Tafasi, uh, yeah, I, I'm here for it. It's going to be fun. He's not going to be available this year because of being in an academic redshirt. But that's a 6'4", 300-pound man who's 17 or 18 years old right now. And, yeah, he gets low. He gets leverage. He likes playing football. I mean, they had to tell him on day one to, like, calm down, quit beating up on the GA who's holding the punching bag. He's going to be fun. He, they they hit on that one. That's going to be one of those guys. That, that is tailor-made for Odell Higgins to develop into something pretty fun to watch. Ooh, we should do a they hit on him story, like guys that were just going out on a limb and saying, Rodney Hill, hit on him. Brian Courtney, hit on him. Ayo Tafasi. It's gotten better with each class. Yeah. It, it, we noticed that in this this past spring with the guys who were like the early enrollees. You're like, oh, every single one of those guys I think can can help help out. Offensive line in the second wave, like it, there's obviously a, more volatility and a higher bust rate with offensive linemen. But yeah, I agree. The the guys that they're each each freshman class has gotten progressively more stable. The the floor has, as Chris would like to say, the floor has risen. A little I mean, the bit first class's bar was pretty low. Uh, yeah, transition class and then a COVID class, like those two back to back, not not great uh, tone setters there, but also really really tough for any kind of staff to to do well with that. Uh, Aotafasi to me, like, yeah, man, I, we thought that was a a good win for Florida State at the time to beat off beat uh, hold off Arkansas and Virginia Tech, but in hindsight, like that might be significant if you have Daniel Lyons, Tafasi, and the Bishop Thomases three guys to work with in the rotation moving forward. I guess that Tafasi might be able to help you next season. Uh, let's go to linebacker. Chris, I'm bullish. I like this group. I think they have three to four really solid workable pieces. Well, you summed it up very well there. Yes. The top is really good, but that's all they got. Well, yeah, but they only play two at a time for the yeah. most part. So, you know, you have a, th- you have a, a two deep and then like a swing player, like, okay, that's fine. So it right. starts with Tatum Bethune. It starts with Kalen Deloach. That's your one, two. You're going to feel very good about that. Bethune's been a massive ad for that group because it has put everybody down a notch, allowing them to be a little more comfortable in their place. Tatum, Tatum Bethune humors me because there's some dudes that look like the Incredible Hulk on a football team. Tatum Bethune is not that, but he plays at an extremely high level. And he's really, really good at doing pretty much everything you want a linebacker to do. And he's very smart on the football field. That's probably the thing that I like the most about him is he clearly knows how to direct traffic and understands how things are supposed to be done, run fits, uh, when to bite, when to be aggressive, when not to be aggressive. He's very good at all that. I like Tatum Bethune a lot. I think that's one of the best transfers in their entire class, and obviously it was a massive need. Kalen's continued that continuous improvement that we've seen. He's a hard worker. 
I got no doubts on Kalen Deloach. I think he's going to be a better football player than the last time we saw him play a football game. After that, you got Amari Gaynor, been here a long time, knows what he's doing, can play all three spots. I think he's a little bit more comfortable in what they're asking him to do versus what it was last year for him. Omar Graham's probably the young guy that I'm most excited about, and I'm forgetting DJ Lundy. DJ has done a good job. The weight loss has obviously been something that's been talked about a lot. I think it will benefit him. I think he's just a little bit more comfortable moving around the field a little bit quicker, a little bit better at changing direction, which is such an important thing when you only have two backers on the field. Dude, DJ Lundy, I know you forgot about him just not maliciously, but he to me he's not even – like I think he's pushing to start. I think he might get starting caliber reps this year, which he started last year, but that was more because you didn't have anyone else. I feel really good about Tatum Bethune and Kane Deloach. DJ Lundy has been one of the most pleasant surprises to me in preseason camp. The weight loss, we talk about like composite body composition changes, and, and sometimes that proves to end up being fabricated or overblown based on the feedback that we're getting. Travis, two hundred twenty-five pounds, but DJ Lundy being a legit two hundred thirty-five pounds, nearly twenty pounds lighter than what he played at last season, looks every bit of it. He is still like two hundred thirty-five pounds is still really good size for a modern-day linebacker. No longer clunky. He gets to the perimeter in a hurry. I've seen them actually cover tight ends downfield comfortably, be in good position. I, I am maybe I'm overhyping this. Maybe I'm a little early on it, but but I think. Uh, DJ Lundy has made such tremendous strides in such a short period that uh, he's what's making me feel good about this group because I already knew what you had in Deloach and Bethune. Him elevating, yeah, man, that's that's been really good. Then the other guys. Um, I need I need a cigarette after that you one. Like geez. that? I yeah. mean, I am Woo. I am all on board with DJ Woo. Lundy right now. He's Woo, baby, Fiend Club president over there. He is all Sinone squad material. I'll tell you what. Uh, let's see. one of the greatest creations ever. <laughs> <laughs> should we should we do a, a post uh, camp ASS team? We'll see. Uh, Omar Graham, I think, can fall into they hit on category. Uh, probably not this year, other than you know, special teams. I think he can he can help you out with. But that's someone who physical part of the game he is totally comfortable with athletically. Like there are things that look correct there. It's about kind of I think him filling out a little bit more, continuing to add more bulk. Uh, not that he's slight right now, but just going from teenage uh, phrasing teenage body to being an adult in the next couple of years. Uh, but he's someone who's going to help out Florida state. I think you hit on him as like, he's looks like a power five linebacker. Tends uh, to Steve, be around the ball a lot, a, a, a lot consistently. Uh, Brendan Gant. I just, uh, maybe sub package. You can find something. I uh, just doesn't really do it for me to be honest. And then Steven Dix looks so much the part. I just I don't know. You know, I know they've talked about him being someone who maybe could turn the corner a little bit. Just every time I think I'm seeing that happen, uh, there's a couple of reasons of just either rigidity or, or not seeing things open up uh, the way you would like some of the linebackers to kind of have that that uh, is it fifth sense or sixth sense? Oh, sixth sense. Oh boy, it's you already going. have five senses, so it would be a sixth sense. <laughs> Anyways, we should move to defensive backs. I'll save you while I can. Uh, so defensive backs at FSU are never separated as corner and safety, but obviously guys are at specific positions. We know the safeties here is Jamie Robinson and Akeem Dent. That's no secret. That's well-known. Akeem Dent turned a corner late last year. I think they believe he's going to continue to progress in that manner. Jamie Robinson is the all-ACC candidate on FSU's team, the guy on the preseason watch list, and there's a reason for that. He's a you know guy who can do four different positions for you on the defense, and he's got great value. Kevin Knowles, excellent freshman year. He's continued to progress with that. He's still your nickel type. 
Cooper, King Cooper, Duke Cooper, the one and only O'Marion Cooper. He's at one of the cornerback spots. And then Renardo Green, which has been talked about a good bit, he's working another cornerback spot. And I think he's settled in there pretty well spring and has been good into the fall there. I think they feel good about that. The biggest thing at defensive back for them, because it took a lot of time last year to kind of figure out that group. I think they now have it pretty well figured out. The key for them is developing the depth at a high level. So when you do have to rotate, you feel good about Jerry and Jones to his credit has had a pretty good preseason. He has taken a step forward. We'll see if that lasts. I'm not yet buying on that, but he has been better in the preseason. He's also very healthy and he's very motivated. He wants to prove to everybody. He's a hell of a lot better than he's looked here in his career. Um, you know, AZ Thomas has been maybe the most exciting guy in all of preseason camp. He's racked up turnovers. He's been around the ball a lot. He's long. He's athletic. He's super competitive. He's smart for a freshman. You can tell he's a kid that had two siblings, two brothers who played at the college level, one of whom's now in the NFL. You can understand that, like, he mentally is so far ahead of where he's supposed to be with the approach to doing his business. And it shows on the field. The buzz for him is palpable. And it's, it's, for good reason. He's been outstanding. Yep. Yes, entirely. Uh, you know, Sidney Williams, a guy whose health was an issue last year a lot. He's out there working as a depth safety. You're hoping to see kind of the next step for him. I think he's been fine. Travis Jay has been kind of steady, mm. not great, not bad. You're hoping maybe he turns the corner and becomes a guy that you can run out there and feel comfortable. He's going to give you good reps instead of being concerned of, oh, is it coming on him? McClellan is still kind of the gray beard of the bunch. What? Uh, phrasing. Could continue. What? The gray beard? No, no. It was the something else you said right before. Okay. Well, McClellan's sure. gray beard of the bunch. He's still the guy who's kind of the veteran. He's a depth piece. He knows what's supposed to be done. When you have to lean on him, you can, and you know you get it out of him. Those are kind of guys. I mean, Sam McCall, he looks like a freshman a lot of the time, but he's long. He's athletic. He's going to be fine. He just has to develop. Uh, AZ Thomas is drastically ahead of him in my viewpoint. And one final guy worth mentioning is Shaheen Brown. He's somebody that Adam Fuller talked up a great deal in the uh, the press conferences the day before the preseason started. He is a second-team type at safety because we talked about how established they are at those two spots. But he is a guy that, similar to Jamie Robinson, can play a lot of different spots, do a lot of different things, and I think they intend to utilize him in that way. He has definitely taken the next step. He had some really good moments, especially in practice as a freshman last year. But I think now they feel like he's a guy that they can trust to be out there on the field and do some things for them. Yeah, he, he unlocks if you're able to comfortably put him out there and he and he plays well. I think he allows for a lot of different cool formations or substitutions just because I think he could play a couple different roles or he can allow some like a Jamie Robinson to move around. But but yeah, I, I think the secondary has been pretty consistent uh, so far. I think it's the big takeaway. They were really good in last year's preseason camp. I think the wide receivers are better this year than they were last year. Been tough to be a whole lot worse. Uh, but that was something that we like legitimately didn't know just how subpar the two starting units were uh, when kind of g- gauging them against each other last camp until you know you went and played a legitimate high end power five team like Notre Dame. And then you kind of get exposed and uh, all of a sudden confidence becomes a thing. And uh, yeah, it, it was quite the development. I think this year confidence is reset based on how the how last year ended in the secondary and they have comfort there. Is area Thomas being someone? who potentially uh, either starts early on in his career or at the very least is someone you trust to get out there and get some reps you know, early on and then kind of see where it goes. Like that's a nice development. Yeah. I generally like this group. I don't love it, but, but I think this is uh, 
this is a solid a solid group with the potential to maybe be really good if you hit on a few things, whether that's Renardo Greed kind of continuing to play well, if Jerry and Jones, as you mentioned earlier, Chris, if he continues to do what he's done so far in camp, is Eric Thomas living up to his potential? Like if you hit on every all the what ifs uh, that are reasonable, this can end up being a, a damn good group. So so yeah, this is uh, wrapping up the defense. I, I think it's just solid top to bottom. I don't think there's a glaring weakness. There's maybe some unknowns at cornerback and at defensive end, which are two pretty important positions uh, when you're building a defense. But I feel markedly better about it today than I did, say, in the spring. I, I think a lot of questions have been answered positively, and they're filling in some of the remaining gaps to where a top 35 to top 25 defense I, I think is reasonable this season. Yeah, and remember, Malik Feaster should be joining that secondary. That's a depth piece that yep. will help them a little bit in the sense of where we were talking about building the second team with more confidence. Overall, on the defense, I do the year-over-year comparison kind of view of it. Last year, they had to figure out so much in the back half, and the linebackers were a weakness. I feel like the back half is much better figured out. I think Tatum Bethune's a massive upgrade at the linebacker spot for them, making them a whole lot better back there. Obviously, this year, they're going to have to – the pass rush is going to be a little bit different in the sense of the edge pressure. They're not going to have a guy who produces at Jermaine Johnson's level because Jermaine Johnson produced at a pretty insane level. I do think as a group, they're going to produce pretty well. I think they are going to be a capable bunch of pressuring the passer, which will make everybody behind them better. I feel pretty good about where the defense stands. I think the best thing the defense has going, they really have an identity and they know who they are and they have very established leadership. Uh, Fabo, as mentioned earlier, done a great job up front. Tatum Bethune's helped that linebacker group a lot. And then in the back half, you have a guy like Jamie Romson who knows it's his money year and is out there to prove it and wants to play at a high level, but also beyond holding himself accountable, does a good job of holding others accountable. I think they feel pretty good about what they have on that side of ball. I think this team can run the ball. I think this team can play defense. I feel good about those two parts of those two major phases of the game. Uh, I'm in agreement with you, Chris. I know it's not great podcasting for us to agree with a lot of things, but I think we're seeing pretty similar stuff out there. So uh, this has been, I think, helpful for us to take some inventory of what we've seen so far. Hopefully it's been informative. I know this has been a marathon of a podcast, but, uh, but yeah, this is what we do. Chris and I are out there every day and, that's why it's called on the bench because uh, technically we're standing and sitting on chairs uh, out there, either or no bench, but uh, this is why we're, we're OTB. It's because we're, we're there boots on the ground and, and trying to give you guys uh, the best evaluation and the most comprehensive and most honest as we can. Chris and I are both feeling pretty good about this group as of today. Uh, anything before we get out of here, Chris, a little housekeeping, little, you know, basketball or soccer you want to get to maybe? Uh, soccer started their preseason yesterday. Um, I don't actually know if they touched the field. I went out there at the start of it, but weather rolled in, so they weren't going to be able to get out there to at least 630. Not 100% sure they were ever able to, but they did do stuff in the IPF earlier in the day. Uh, coach Brian Penske, the new coach, spoke with us. Uh, most interesting thing with them is they returned seven of the 11 from their national championship starting roster last year. Uh, most of the losses were to the professional ranks. That obviously was a big battle for Coach Penske when he got hired because of how everything transitioned with Coach Kerkorian's resignation. And then, you know, taking about a month to hire him, it's a lot of unknown period. So knowing what the 2022 roster would be when he got hired was the biggest test that faced him beyond even hiring new coaches and just getting a feel for his new place. I think the nice thing for them is they're now getting on the field and they're getting at They got a ton of talent they've got a lot of ability they do have some things to figure out uh, especially on the back half defensively what they're going to do and it's going to be interesting watching the change in system going from what coach Kokorian did versus what coach Pensky wants to do 
one thing I very much like about Penske, I mentioned this, Brendan, when we were chatting earlier, Penske, most coaches get hired and almost never mention a prior coach. It's just one of those weird things they do. Penske evokes Mark Corian constantly. And I appreciate because let's be honest, Mark Corian was the best coach in college soccer. I, I don't think that's a far-fetched statement to make. Um, and I think Penske fully understands that and respects that. And I think it's also beneficial for him as he's developing the relationship with the young ladies that he essentially has adopted as his new players. You know, don't, don't demean the former guy, raise him up, prop him up. I think that's a positive. And I think it's helped him bridge it. And he mentioned yesterday that because he essentially had to re-recruit much of the current team, he's developed relationships with him because of that. Now they get to go play, play soccer together. Can't number, can't, number run, one, can't run from a shadows the way I would yeah. put it. Number one in the country preseason, completely deserved. Uh, they got plenty of talent to try to put a nice star up there on the FSU logo with the other three they already put on there as a program. And then, uh, you know, football is obviously full tilt. We're a couple weeks out. A couple other fall sports will get rolling here pretty soon. First scrimmage is on Saturday. That is closed to the media. We will do our best to try to get as much intel and insight into it as we can. And, and honestly, in the past years, like the coaching staff, when they talk to us after, is pretty transparent about what happened too. So yeah. we'll have information on that late Saturday evening. I think it's like a 9 30 10 o'clock media availability so it'll be yeah. pretty late the only other thing basketball is in canada they're doing a 10-day trip up there with six uh games slash scrimmages three of each against college age kids i think it's very good for that basketball team uh, a lot of new pieces to that group they've been able to get some early practices in for preparation of that which is probably also beneficial for them this group more than most is probably it needs us. It needs to have Leonard Hamilton's going to run out a lot of rotations, equal minutes, a lot of different people together, and just let them play basketball. And when you're practicing, it's so do this, stop, talk about it. When you're playing the game, scrimmaging, it's much more just go play basketball, get it on film, learn from the film. I think it will benefit the group immensely. It's also probably pretty good that they're all hanging around each other and bonding just because there are so many new faces, new pieces, and they're trying to figure out. Baba Miller is the only member of the team who is not part of that trip. He's not yet at FSU. Uh, he will come over in about two weeks from playing with Real Madrid over there in Spain. Isn't Real Madrid soccer? Uh, it's an athletic program group from what I understand. They're wow. obviously super well-known for soccer, but it's a very good basketball group program. And uh, from what I understand, Bob is probably a guy who the transition from playing foreign ball to now, there will obviously be differences with how the American game is played, but he has played really talented people of this age for several years. Like he's, his preparation level is good. They are excited about him. They believe he can be an asset. For them. Okay. That's everything for a absolutely loaded episode of On the Bench. For Chris Nee, I'm Brendan Sinone. Taking the landing.